Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. I want to invite you to find a Bible, take a Bible close to you, or if you've got your own one, uh, to turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, and our passage this morning is verses 25 to 32, page 978, page 978 in the church Bible, but I'm going to read from verse 17, the passage that we looked at last week, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Paul says, now I say this and testify in the Lord. In other words, what I am saying to you, Jesus himself is saying, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. May God bless his holy word to us. This morning, friends, I want to dive right into our passage, right straight into it. Last week, some of us needed oxygen, didn't we? As we hit the theological heights, who who are you wearing? That was the question last week. Who are you wearing? Verse 22, Paul showed us last week there are only ever two people to wear. 
You either were yourself, verse 22, your old self. You were Adam's family likeness. Or, verse 24, you can now wear your new self. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that new identity that comes from being united to Jesus, now in our verses today, Paul says, that new identity now leads us to a new way of life. A whole new life. Putting away and putting off everything that is not like Jesus. And instead putting on everything that is so like him. Same question as last week. Who are you wearing today? Somebody said to me last week after the morning sermon, somebody said it was so helpful to look around and begin to see not student or old person or single person or married or male or female, but rather to look around and to see a whole group of people together wearing the Lord Jesus. We are one body. Each person who belongs to Jesus has put Jesus on. And so today, friends, from the theological heights of last week to the nitty-gritty practical of this week, be who you are. Be who you are. Dress according to who you are. If you have put Jesus on, wear him. Wear what Jesus wears. Friends, wear only what Jesus wears. And so here today for us is what not to wear. Look at the clothing imagery. It's there again in our verse. It's a strange thing, is it? Verse 25, having put, put away falsehood. Put it off, put away. Verse 31, same word again. Put away from you these things. So it's, it's what you do in late spring, isn't it? With your winter wardrobe. You, you put it away. Don't do that just yet, friends. Somebody told me that, someone told me this morning, snow is on the way again the next couple of weeks, early April. So hold on to your winter wardrobe another couple of weeks. But, but it, that, that's the language, isn't it? Take what you, take what you had, what you're wearing, what you used to do, and shelve it. That there is a Christian uniform. That there is a gospel dress. There is a sense, can can I put it like this? There there is a sense that when you come to the Lord Jesus and as you grow in him and live for him, there is a sense in which what he does for us is what we do for folks who come to visit us in our house and they're wearing their big winter coat. What do we say as they come in the door? Here, let me take that for you, we say. Let me take your coat. You don't need that in here. You don't need to wear that here. Here I am, Lord Jesus. Here I am just wearing me, wearing my rules, my beliefs, my throne, my kingdom, my truth, my sins, my selfishness, my pride. And then you are baptized. You're wearing Christ. You walk in the door of a church family and Jesus says to you here, let me take those things. Let me take them from you. You don't need them here. You don't wear those things in here. Let, let me say this as we, as we begin. Today is really practical. I'm going to give us five, five things not to wear. And in their place, five things to wear. 
Yes, we've left the deep, left the, the theological heights, but here are the deep foundations, friends. What you wear directly affects me. And what I wear directly affects you. And we know this, don't we, all the time. Your, your kids don't want to be seen in public with you at a certain age because of what you're wearing. It's embarrassing, Dad. Just stay a few meters ahead of me, please. Let me, let me have some distance between my coolness and your dadness. We, we can embarrass one another because of what we wear, can't we? We can shame one another because of what we wear. We can hurt one another because of what we wear. You, your gospel wardrobe is my business and vice versa. Just look at that deep foundation to our passage. It runs all the way through it. It's there in verse 25. The end of verse 25. We are members one of another. Look at verse 28. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29. Only such as is good for building up. Look at verse 32. It's there twice in verse 32. Be kind to one another, forgiving one another, one another, one another. You, you, what I wear affects you. Remember the way Ephesians works? Chapters 1 to 3, God has brought us together. Chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians, so here's how we stick together. Let's stick together. Here's how to stay one body. Point Number one, first thing to wear, truth must replace falsehood. Truth must replace falsehood. Take off falsehood and put on truth. Brothers and sisters, Trinity Church family, the Bible tells us today to stop being untruthful people. Never be dressed in falsehood, but instead be dressed in truth from top to bottom. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So I mentioned the snow that's on the way again soon. Can you imagine, friends, can you imagine telling your hand in January in minus 10 degrees can you imagine would you ever say to your hand don't worry hand it's 28 degrees outside today you, you climb Loch Nagar with your bald head would you ever tell your bald head when it is 30 degrees heat and not a cloud in the sky would you ever tell your bald head don't worry it's misty and overcast you'll be fine no, we wouldn't, would we? Your, your own body is precious to you, isn't it? You, you, you tell your body the truth. It's cold outside, and you need gloves. Bald head, it's scorching. You need a hat, you need cream. See Paul's point in verse 25? We are members one of another. If you wouldn't lie to your own bodily members, why would you ever lie to the members of this body. Your, your own body needs the truth. The members of your body need the truth. This body, Christ's body, needs the truth. Proverbs 24, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. 
Proverbs 25, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. It's amazing, isn't it? You see the relational pictures? Truth is a kiss, but falsehood is a wound. Truth brings you near, it brings you into my embrace. Falsehood just picks apart what God has joined. Falsehood destroys Maybe you've done that, dishonesty, white lies, shading the truth. Maybe you've had it done to you. Maybe you've had it done to you in a church of all places. Reputations are ruined. Character can be tainted by falsehood. Oh, friends, let it not be so. Let it never be so here in this body among us. Don't pull apart, don't, don't tear at the fabric of what God is doing in the universe, which is putting men and women together in Christ. Falsehood pulls that apart. You know, the, the older commentators, when they look at these verses, they, they point out that verse 25, Paul must be beginning with this item of clothing because is there anything so essential, so vitally a part of who God is than truth? Truth defines God. It is his very essence and character. Look at verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about Christ and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 24. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you know that Paul begins his letter to Titus by saying, God cannot lie. God cannot lie. And so, friends, wear what Jesus wears. Point number one, truth. Be a man, be a woman, where people know until your dying day exactly where they stand with you. You will only ever tell them truth. Number two, righteous anger must replace selfish anger. Righteous anger must replace selfish anger. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The Bible is not against anger. Psalm 4, be angry and do not sin. John Stott says there is such a thing as Christian anger and too few Christians either feel it or express it. Isn't that amazing? There is such a thing as Christian anger. Too few Christians either feel it or express it, but when we fail to do so, we deny God, we damage ourselves, and we encourage the spread of evil. If nothing makes you angry, you haven't suffered, or you haven't seen suffering or appreciated suffering. If nothing makes you angry, you are living detached, isolated, No, there is so much to be angry about. Ukraine, rape, abuse, trauma, injustice. Anger is a right reaction to all that is wrong. And, and says Paul, in that anger, do not sin. 
See, the, the rest of that phrase, I think, in verse 26, the, the rest of that phrase, I think, assumes that most of what makes us angry is actually, in fact, not the big social, racial, uh, you know, the, the, the huge problems of evil in the world. No, most of what makes us angry is the stuff that makes us curl up in bed in a huff with the world and go to sleep with our back to our spouse. If I can just curl, curl in on myself enough to lick my own wounds... For I have been so wronged and I am so right. We slide, don't we, from right anger to wrong self-pity. We, we see someone else's sin and it just makes us sin. And if we don't deal with it by the end of the day, a new, a new day begins. And with the, the passage of time, we are just that further, that bit further apart from each other. And now the devil has an opportunity. The, the passage of time is what the devil enters. Time pulls us apart. What does the devil want to do, friends? Pull us apart. Pull us apart. Marriages pulled apart. Parents and children pulled apart. Elders pulled apart. Church members pulled apart. God brings people together. The devil pulls people apart. Can I, can I say to husbands to heads of homes. If you want to be a warrior, the great moment of spiritual warfare in your home, do you know where it happens? If you want to make a difference in the world, you want to change the world, if, if you want to contribute to the church family in a meaningful way, do you know where you fight? Do you know where you do it? You do it over the meal table at night before the day ends. You do it at 8 p.m. before you're too tired to speak anymore as head of the home you say let's talk I'm sorry or I'm angry brothers and sisters do you know what it is like to nip your anger in the bud do you know what it's like to do that to, to nip it in the bud N not by burying it perhaps but by speaking about it gently, openly, tenderly or instead of nipping it in the bud, have you grown a garden of anger? You know, I've met Christians who have whole greenhouses of the stuff. Night and day, 24-7, for weeks, for months, they are angry. Oh, and don't ever try and take their anger off them. Oh no, they need it. It tastes so good. They, they wear their anger with pride. A man called Frederick Buchner said this. He said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue, the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you intend to give back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Brothers and sisters, can you hear the Lord Jesus this morning? What is he saying to us? Can I take that from you? You don't need that here. Let me take that. Let me take that. Number three, generosity must replace theft. Generosity must replace theft. Truth replaces 
falsehood, righteous anger replaces selfish anger. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I wonder what comes into your mind, that little word thief in verse 28. For some reason, I cannot get it out of my my head. When I hear that word thief, I think a man dressed in black and white striped jumper, black face mask, swag bag over the shoulder, tiptoeing along, a, for some reason, a silhouetted high wall at night time. You have to ask me about my childhood. But pe- people steal. People steal all the time, don't they? Th- thieves don't wear a uniform. Thieves wear padded expense forms that they submit at the end of the month. Thieves wear inadequate reporting on their annual self-assessment tax returns, don't they? Thieves do their own thing on their employer's time. Friends, do you see the principle in in this verse? Thieves, what, what do they do? Thieves take. Thieves get. They don't give. Thieves take from you rather than giving to you. And you can't be generous if you haven't worked hard to have something to give to others. You know, I I knew of a church. I knew of a church family that had somebody in it who struggled to work. And this person struggled to work not because there were no jobs out there, but because he couldn't get out of bed before midday. This person's life was chaotic. Personal care was lacking. And he found himself in a loving, caring church family who provided for him food and clothing and friendship, who paid for events that connected him to people. Until eventually the pastor said to him, we love you. And because we love you, there is no more money. No more money until you are trying to get a job. There's no more freebies. Until you have something to share with us, what we have to share with you comes to an end. You see see the verse? Thieves don't care about anybody else in need, do they? They just see their own need. Paul is saying, do you know what keeps the church together? You know what, what, what God has joined as one? You know what makes you one, what keeps you one? Is when people work hard to spread a feast for others to enjoy, for others to savor. Have you ever done that? Taken what God has given you and laid it out for others to share, for others to harvest. Do you know the old saying, 90% of the work is done by 10% of the people. I think it's going to be true in any organization you've ever been in. But why is it true of a church? How can it ever be true of a church? No, it's 100% of the people wanting to share 100% of what they have and giving and giving to others. Number four, verse 29, building up must replace breaking down. Building up must replace breaking down. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. If you look at that verse, the opening few words, no corrupting talk. That word for corrupting, 
It's the same word that is used of rotten trees and rotting fruit. In other words, let, let no decay spreading talk come out of your mouths. You know what happens to that banana that you just leave in the sunlight and you're going to eat it and before you know it it's black and you pick it up and it's just, you know, you don't eat it, do you? It's squidgy, it's gone, it's corrupted, it's broken down. Words that break things down, people that break things down. Some churches end up smelling putrid, don't they? The conversation in these churches, in small cliques and whispering corners and hushed corridors, the the speech inside groups like that is like the inside of your green food waste bin at home. It's It's a place where things go to die and to get broken down. Paul says to us, friends, have you ever worn words like that? Has there ever been corrupting talk that has come from you? The opposite should be the case. Look at the second half of the verse. Only such as is good for building up. The opposite of breaking down. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. A couple of weeks ago, Angela and I were away for a week's holiday. We weren't here on a Sunday. I came back to an email Somebody sent me an email. They said, while you were away, we visited your church. And I thought I'd tell you what it was like. And I thought, oh, here we go. And they said we were welcomed incredibly warmly. We couldn't believe the premises that you're in and how well your church is using those premises as you prepare to move to Queen Street. We loved Will's preaching. We loved being with your church family. We loved seeing what God is doing in your midst. Why does that stand out? Why does that, an email like that stand up and wave at us, wave at me? It's because it's rare, isn't it? What, what, what kind of speech comes naturally to us? Here's one way to evaluate it, okay? If you had to put on one side of your desk all the letters of complaint that you have ever written... And on the other side of your desk, all the texts, emails, letters of encouragement that you have ever written. Which pile would be bigger? What does that say about us? Why does it come so naturally to us to tell other people what is wrong with the world and wrong with them? Why are we so willing to give someone a piece of our mind more than willing to say something intentional that will edify It's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? To give grace to those who hear. You know why the complaints pile is bigger? It's because we wear Adam, don't we? We wear the old self. We wear the old nature. We don't put off and put it to death and put on what the Lord Jesus is like. He, He never, ever tears down. Yes, his words can be hard, stinging, but they are true, loving, and always to build and to edify. See what Paul says, when we get that wrong, it is grievous to God, verse 30. It's so opposite to who the Holy Spirit is. His his work in our midst is gracious. It is upbuilding, not downpulling. Here's the last one, number five. Kindness must replace hostility. Kindness must replace hostility. How has God treated me? In Christ, God forgave me. 
he forgave me. How can I ever not forgive you? God forgave me. How can I not ever forgive you? Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. There's a lot of things to take off there, isn't there? Let them all be put away from you along with all malice. Here's what to wear instead. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. That, that right view of myself before God is is the mountaintop from which I see everything else clearly, isn't it? If I know that God has forgiven me from that mountaintop, I see everything clearly. That the God who was angry at my sin, rightly angry at my sin, the God whose world I have spent my life trashing, yet he forgives me. What have you ever done to me that means I cannot forgive you? No, instead of all those things, be kind, be tender, forgive. Can I say again, men, men this morning, kindness is a Christian virtue, not a feminine virtue. Kindness is a Christian virtue. It is a Christian trait, not a personality trait. The Lord Jesus was kind. He has been kind to me. You know, Augustine, the great church father, Augustine came to faith in Christ in the city of Milan. And Augustine, famously, you may know, had lived for self. He had dabbled in false cults. He had pursued satisfaction of all his desires. And when he came to Christ in Milan, the bishop of Milan was a man called Ambrose, a godly bishop, a godly man. Ambrose was known for his eloquence and his great wisdom. You went to church to listen to Ambrose's sermons. Do you know what Augustine said about how he came to faith listening to Ambrose? He said, it was not your great teaching, but that you were kind to me. You were kind to me. In other words, he, he, he saw the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he? He saw, he saw a man dressed in Christ. He met Christ through a man who was speaking truth but living in love and grace and kindness. He heard the truth but he saw life. Truth, righteous anger, building up, generosity, kindness. Are you wearing them? I, I know many times I've given you this C.S. Lewis illustration. I gave you a C.S. Lewis illustration last week and somebody, I, I thought it was the first time I'd done it and somebody said to me, every time you use that C.S. Lewis illustration I get emotional. I thought I didn't think I'd done it before. This, this, one I, this one I know I've given it to you many, many times. And I do it again this morning without apology. C.S. Lewis takes all of these things here, these five things that you're, we're going to leave here wearing truth, Righteousness, righteous anger, building up, generosity, kindness. C.S. Lewis looks at them and says, yeah, you know what? If you, if you say you're going to leave here wearing those things, that is just let's pretend. It's just praying, playing let's pretend, isn't it? Because they're not really yours. You're, you're putting on something that isn't real, really you. And C.S. Lewis says, we don't want to do that in real life, do we? That's... No one wants to pretend. You don't want to pretend to be truthful or to pretend to be kind. 
So what is going on here with these verses? How how can God tell us to do this? Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, ah, yes, it is pretending, but only for a time. Think about your children that you see in creche and Sunday school, your own children. What do children do as they grow up? Who do they dress up as? You've seen this, haven't you? What does a child do? He puts on uh, the messy football kid. He puts on the Ronaldo shirt because he wants to grow up to be a footballer. He, he, he wears the doctor's uniform because he wants to grow up to be a doctor. The little girl wears the nurse's uniform because one day she will grow up to be a nurse. Children wear mum's high heels, wear dad's big coat because one day they will grow up to be those very things. That is what is happening here, C.S. Lewis says. God is dressing you in these things. And it is not merely pretend. As you wear them, and as we practice them, as we give ourselves away to others, wearing these things, C.S. Lewis says, you know what happens over time? They become you. You grow up into them. Your very self wears them because you are wearing the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So may it be, friends. May we wear him, wear what he wears all our days. Amen.